Now concerning the things whereof he wrote unto me, <clears throat> evidently the, the saints at Corinth had written to the apostle questions regarding married life. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. And verse 7, For I would that all men were even as I myself. Verse 8, the end of the verse, It is good for them if they abide even as I. Verse 26, I suppose therefore that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. He's talking about <clears throat> virgins. Verse 37, Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, no need for married life, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virginity, the thought, doeth well. So then he that, I have to read this in a better translation to get the thought, he that marrieth doeth well, but he that marrieth not doeth better. <clears throat> He's clearly setting before us in this chapter that there is something superior to the married life and that is to remain <clears throat> unmarried and he gives the reason that one might attend upon the Lord without distraction. Marriage brings problems. It brings difficulties. It brings that which causes us to go out after the things of the world. He says that in verse 32. I would have you without carefulness. I would have you without all the cares that come upon us when we have children and we go through married life. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please not himself, but his wife. And you'll notice that all the way through this chapter, and that's what I have before me, it's not self-love. It's not the gratification of fleshly lust, but it's the ministry in love to your partner, to another. So he that is married, it says, careth for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Verse 34, there is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now, when we enter into marriage, we don't enter into it with the thought of pleasing ourselves. That would be a very worldly motive. But the marriage tie brings complications and it brings associations which cause us to go out after the things of the world, that we might please our mate, our wife, or our husband. That's perfectly legitimate. It's allowed. It's, it's not, uh, he says in verse 28, If thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, 
such shall have trouble in the flesh, and I would spare you. So there is a path that is higher even than the normal marriage path. And he clearly talks about that. <clears throat> but when he does talk about the married life, he talks about, he views it from the Christian perspective, just exactly the opposite that it's viewed by the world. In fact, the, the whole viewpoint of the world in connection with this kind of thing is carnal and bestial and not of God at all. Now let's just look at those first verses. We, we can't refer you, uh, if you're a young married couple or contemplated, contemplating marriage, to a more beautiful formula for happiness in the married life than we have in 1 Corinthians 7. And I would recommend to all of us who are married and young, contemplating marriage, to read and to reread and to reread 1 Corinthians 7 over and over again and put it into practice. It's so simple, and it's the formula for happiness in marriage. Uh, there are spiritual needs, there are soulish needs, and there are bodily needs. And this is what he talks about in the first part of the chapter. There's nothing wrong with those needs. There's nothing wrong with those desires. But they have to be channeled in the right channel and fulfilled in the marriage relationship. They're of God. They're God-given. And therefore, they are proper. He starts out in verse 1, It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every woman have her own husband. He recognizes that there are these natural drives in man that if they are not fulfilled in marriage, they will result in uh, being fulfilled in, the relation, in a relationship outside of marriage, and that's called fornication, which is sin. And so he says, let every man have his own wife and every woman have her own husband. Now here we come to the instruction, the marriage relationship. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. And likewise also the wife unto the husband. The whole Christian viewpoint, the viewpoint of love, is love serves. Love always seeks the good of its object. If I'm a husband, I'm to love my wife. I'm to consider her. I'm to meet her needs. Whether they're spiritual or soulish or physical, I'm to meet her needs. And she's to meet my needs. And we're not to be out there to gratify our own needs, but we are to be in the attitude of love, seeking the good and the blessing and the fulfillment of the one we love. That's the way of love. And if we had this before us, if every married couple, if the wife would always be looking to please her husband in every way, and here the, here the apostle, who was unmarried, but writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives the most wonderful counsel for happiness in the marriage relationship. Let the husband render to the wife due benevolence. 
and likewise the wife to the husband. Verse 4, the wife hath not power of her own body. He's not talking about the spirit here, the soul. He's talking about the body now. And he says, the wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. She belongs to him. And likewise, the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. And if we put that into practice, there is so much that begins, so much trouble in families, so much trouble in Christian marriages, that it begins where this isn't practiced. This is not carried out. We're not looking to see the need in, in the other, the one that we are attached to for life, and to fulfill that need, to meet that need. Whether it's a physical need or whether it's a spiritual need. Here he's talking about the physical need. And he says, uh, I don't have power of my own body as a husband, but it's to be for my dear wife and vice versa. And he says, defraud ye not one the other. Don't deprive one, don't deprive the other of that proper marital relationship if there's a need there. Be, be in the attitude of love. The whole world system about us is self-love, self-seeking, self-gratification, uh, doing it to please myself. The whole scene of lust out there is just for that. What's in it for me? But the Christian perspective is what's in it for her or what's in it for him, the one that I love, the one that I'm united to. I want to please him. I want to please her. What a change. What a difference that makes. I'm not in it for, I'm not in the marriage relationship for what I can get out of it, but what I can give to the one that I have taken to be my wife or the one I've taken to be my husband. It's the way of love. And if you, if you just carry that thought all the way through the seventh of first Corinthians, all the way through the Bible, the New Testament, it's the way of Christ. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, not to be served, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Love seeketh not her own. Love is always going out, always serving, always giving of itself to others. And if you practice that, dear wife, and you practice that, dear husband, there's going to be a happy relationship. And the enemy will de be defeated at the very point where he gets his thin edge of the wedge in to many of our families and splits them in two. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency, your inability to contain yourself. There are these natural drives, and when two people are married, it means that they don't have the gift of celibacy. They're not able to live uh, apart from that, and so the Lord has brought them to seek a mate. That's perfectly proper and owned of God. But that relationship is not entered into with the thought of, now I can fulfill and gratify my desires. It's entered into with the thought of satisfying and gratifying the needs and the desires of the one I love. So he says, I speak this in the way of permission, not of commandment. And he goes on 
and he talks about, we'll just read the next few verses. I would that all men were even as I myself. He was without, he was uh, unmarried. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. To remain unmarried, he points out in this chapter, <clears throat> is to free oneself of the difficulties that uh, are brought upon us when we we get into marriage, have families, sickness comes in, trials come in, all kinds of problems that we are all acquainted with. And he says, I would have you without distraction. But only some are given that gift. And if you don't have that gift, it's perfectly proper to marry. So he says in verse 9, if they cannot contain, they're not given the gift of celibacy, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with lust. Better to marry than to burn. And unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. In Malachi 2, the Lord has many complaints against the remnant that had returned in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. And one of the things that he says to them he says that you've dealt treacherously with the wife of your youth and with the wife of your covenant. They had dealt treacherously with Jehovah. They had dealt treacherously. They had broken faith with their brother. And they had dealt treacherously with their wives. They put some of them away. And so he says, the Lord hateth putting away. The Lord hateth putting away. And here he says, unto the married I command, not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But if she depart, or if she have departed, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. Clear instruction, marriage is for a lifetime, until death do us part. And God says, I hate putting away. I hate divorce. There's only one condition that he allows it, and that is fornication in the Gospels. And then he goes on in this chapter to treat of another special case. It says in verse 11, if she depart, here we're talking about two married, two Christians married to one another, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. So if if there is a separation that has come in to those who are Christians, he says, in that separated position, they are to remain unmarried or be reconciled. Those are the two options that they have, but not to obtain a divorce. And then he says in verse 12, To the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. That's just the opposite of what you, what you get in Ezra, uh, where they, they found that they, and Nehemiah, where they had married strange wives, and they had to put the strange wives away under the law, and they had to put the children away as being unclean. But here in Christianity, if two people are married, and then they hear the gospel, and one of them embraces it and gets saved, the other one is not saved now. The unsaved says to the saved partner, you've changed. You're not the man I married. 
You don't love the things of the world like you used to. And you're the one that's changed. I haven't changed. And the unsaved wife says, I'm not going to continue with you. If she says she will continue with him, then the instruction to him is, let him remain with her. He doesn't have to put her away, as was the case under the law. But under grace, he didn't have to put her away. He was to remain with her. But what if she says, I won't stay with you? Well, it says in verse 12, If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean. In Ezra's day, the children were unclean. The, the, uh, the heathen wife was unclean, had to be put away. And they did it. They carried out that instruction. And then in Malachi's day, they were putting away their Jewish wives and marrying heathen wives. The very thing that they had uh, acted faithfully in, in, uh, in the days of Nehemiah, they now had reversed that. They had fallen into such a low state. Well, he says, now they're holy. Your children are holy. In Christianity, it's different. If just one of the partners of the marriage relationship is saved, the children are holy, and the, hus the, uh, the saved one doesn't have to put the unsaved one away. But what if the unsaved one, the unbeliever, departs? Verse 15. If the unbelieving depart, let him depart. Let him or her depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. So in that case, where the gospel reaches a couple that were married, in both of them unsaved, and one of them gets saved, and the other one, the unsaved partner, leaves and says, I can't live with you any longer. You're not the man. You're not the woman I married. And they leave. The word is to the believer, let, it, let them depart. You can't retain them. You're not under bondage in such cases. If they had to remain with them, if they had to continue considering themselves married to that person, what a bondage that would be. It would be a constant life of conflict. The saved one, the one who is light in the Lord, married to the unsaved one, the one who is darkness, the one who has the mind of the Spirit and going after the things of the Spirit, yoked to the one that has nothing but the mind of the flesh and desiring the things of the flesh. So the Spirit of God says, you're not in bondage in such cases. Let them go. You're not in bondage. You're free. And that's an exceptional case not taken up in the Gospels. But here the Apostle Paul takes it up under the direction of the Holy Spirit to give guidance in that special case where the gospel has been received by one of the partners and they have become a child of God and the other one refuses to continue with them. He doesn't lay upon the believer a, an insuperable burden of bondage, but the word is, let them depart. You're not in bondage in such cases. Well, at the end of the chapter, verse 39, the apostle says, The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead 
she is at liberty to be to be married to whom she will only in the Lord <clears throat> so death breaks the bond and when the bond is broken she's at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord now I take that in the same way with uh, verse 15 a brother or sister is not in bondage in such cases not in bondage not bound as it reads in the new translation is the is the uh, bond is broken and there's liberty then to be married to another but God's thought in marriage is the giving of oneself to his partner as there is a need in the partner and to meet that need it's the way of love it's just the opposite of the way of self-gratification the way of the flesh the way of self it's always looking out whether it's in a bodily way or a, a soulish way or a spiritual way always looking out <clears throat> for the blessing of your wife or your husband that's basically what I wanted to bring before us and I would strongly encourage all young married couples <clears throat> to read and to put into practice 1st Corinthians 7 and you will have uh, I believe a happy life a life of giving a life of giving of yourself for the good and blessing of your partner uh, for the enduring of that union which is to set forth Christ and the church.